Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast from the First Christian Church in Great Bend, Kansas. We are a church with a mission of inspiring ordinary people to live extraordinary lives for Christ. It really doesn't matter who you are, what you have done, or how you choose to worship. You belong here. We pray that this week's sermon blesses you and that you feel God's presence through it today. Series called, Are We Pharisees? And what we're going to be doing in this series that, that is meant to help us look a bit more critically at our own lives is examining some of Jesus' interactions with the religious people of his day to see what they might have to teach us about missing the point. Because the truth is, whether you're comfortable with it or not, whether you like it or not, we are way more like these Pharisees than any of us want to admit. So to set the foundation for this series, the first thing we need to do is we need to get a sense of who these Pharisees are. And if you've just read the Gospels in an overview kind of way, the Pharisees basically seem to be the enemies of Jesus. Or they're these religious leaders that keep showing up over and over and over and over again to question, accuse, and even attack Jesus. And so because of that, when we read about the Pharisees, we automatically, in a sense, stereotype them as evil people who are bent on destroying Jesus. But what you'll discover when you read the New Testament a bit closer is you can't just lump all the Pharisees into the enemy of Jesus camp because there are some Pharisees that are sympathetic to what Jesus is doing in the world. And then when you push beyond the New Testament into the historical data that we have regarding this group, you're also going to find out that these so-called evil men are actually people who have devoted their lives more than most of us, far more than most of us, to serving God with everything that they are. Or to give you a sense of who these men are, the name Pharisees probably refers to the set-apart ones. And what that's a reference to is how this group of men doesn't just settle for practicing their faith as most Jews did, right? Just doing basically what you can to get by. No, these men, in an attempt to take every part of the Jewish law seriously devoted their life to living out that law in every detail. And they were detail-oriented. Or, to make this simple, just just imagine a modern-day Christian who, because they want to live out their faith in the deepest possible ways, first of all, giving themselves completely and totally to learning the New Testament inside and out. And then, based on what they've learned, striving to live that out in every part of their lives. In a sense, that's who the Pharisees are. Except they're doing it with the Jewish law, not the New Testament. And then because of that dedication, most Jews at that time didn't see the Pharisees as these evil people who were trying to lead them astray. No, among most ordinary Jews, the Pharisees were held in high regard as the, as the leaders of the faith. Or they're the religious leaders that they looked up to to help them live more faithful lives. Which ultimately means when it comes to the, who the Pharisees really are, They were not evil people devoted to fighting against all things God, but instead were deeply religious people with good intentions who were attempting to live out their lives in the most faithful way they knew how. Or like everybody else that you've ever known, these are people who are doing the best they can with what they've got to serve God. Now, while keeping all of that in mind, let's just jump into one of Jesus' interactions with the Pharisees to see what it is they have to teach us. So we begin in Luke 6, 6. On another Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. And there was a man there whose right hand was withered. 
Or to set the scene, Luke basically tells us that as Jesus was teaching in one of the local synagogues on a Saturday morning, which he did often, this is kind of his MO, Jesus noticed that there's a man sitting in the audience with a withered hand. Now, we don't know exactly what happened to this man. Was it an accident? Is it a disease? We don't really know. No, all we know is for some reason, this man has a hand that is atrophied and he's no longer able to use it. But then as the story continues, we find that there's not just a man with a withered hand sitting in the audience, but some of those Pharisees have showed up as well. But these Pharisees didn't come to learn from Jesus, to sit at the feet of of the rabbi, or they didn't come to worship. No, the reason they showed up is because they wanted to catch Jesus slipping. Or if you'll go back and read Luke closely up to this point in the story, you're going to find Jesus has all sorts of altercations with these guys, just going back and forth and back and forth. And so, of course, when they show up, this is the reason they showed up. It says, the scribes and the Pharisees were watching him to see whether he would cure on the Sabbath so that they might find grounds to bring an accusation against him. Or more specifically in this episode, what the Pharisees have showed up to do is to see if they can catch Jesus breaking the law by working on the Sabbath. And yeah, I know the Pharisees getting all worked up about Jesus doing something on the Sabbath seems silly to us. But you have got to understand that for the Jewish people, keeping the Sabbath law, or in other words, not working on Saturday is a huge deal, an absolutely huge deal. And the reason for this is because not only will you find this command all over the Jewish law as a kind of foundational teaching for them that sets them apart from everybody else. This is foundational. You'll also find people being excommunicated and even executed in the Old Testament for breaking this law. So for the Jewish people, the Sabbath was a huge deal. It's foundational. It's a part of their identity, which in turn also means that the Sabbath was a huge deal to Jesus as well. Because Jesus was Jewish, right? Which then puts into perspective that what's actually going on here between the Pharisees and Jesus is not about the Pharisees being for the Sabbath and Jesus being against it. No, this is an argument going on between Jewish teachers about the best way to interpret this particular law. And so for the Pharisees, because they see Jesus' ability to heal as a kind of work, this is in a sense something that Jesus does for a living, They believe if Jesus were to heal someone on the Sabbath, he would be working, right? He can do it any other days of the week, but he can't do it on the Sabbath because that means he's working. And if he's working, he's breaking the law. And if he's breaking the law, he's leading people astray. And if he's leading people astray, he's got to be stopped because he is a heretic or he is God's enemy. But as the story continues, we find that before the Pharisees even get a chance to accuse Jesus, but before they get a chance to stir up trouble in in the synagogue, Jesus actually takes the fight to them. He doesn't beat around the bush. It says, he knew what they were thinking, and he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand in the middle. He got up and stood there. Or Jesus, knowing exactly what the Pharisees were thinking, because they'd been doing this for weeks now, has the man come stand right there in the middle of everybody in that packed synagogue, so that everyone can see what he's about to do as he goes on to make his point. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or destroy it? Or note once again, Jesus is not condemning the Sabbath. Instead, he's asking, hey, what's the right thing to do on the Sabbath? What's the best way to interpret this law? Should I save a life or destroy? Should I do harm or do good on the Sabbath? 
And of course, the point that Jesus is getting at here, the right interpretation of this law in this particular circumstance is not to allow someone with a withered hand to continue suffering even longer if he can do something about it. So he chooses to do good. He chooses to save a life. And with that, after looking around at all of them, you know, kind of giving them a stink eye kind of deal, he said to him, stretch out your hand. He did so and his hand was restored. His hand was restored. And I don't want you to miss that. And that a man who had lost the use of one of his arms for who knows how long and to what effect at Jesus just saying the words is healed, restored, and set free. Or he walked in a man very limited in what he could do in every area of his life. I mean, just think about what it means to do life with one hand. And he walked out a man who could do it all again. I mean, can you even imagine what it must have been like sitting in that synagogue watching something as miraculous, something as amazing as that? Or can you imagine being that man who walked in and didn't have the ability to use this arm and walked out and now he has a new life? I mean, it's just absolutely breathtaking. So you would think, even though the Pharisees came to accuse Jesus, that after they saw something as amazing as a man regaining the use of his hands, after seeing a miracle right in front of them, that they would begin to see that God has to be at work in this place. Because how else can you explain the miracle that has taken place? It's not like this stuff happens all the time. Right? You think they would open their eyes to see it. Yet, that's not how they respond at all. No, instead... They were filled with fury. They got angry that Jesus did something as amazing with this. They were filled with fury and began discussing with one another what they might do to Jesus. Or these Pharisees, instead of celebrating this miracle that has happened right in front of their eyes, they get furious so much so that they even begin to discuss what they might do to Jesus to stop him from doing something like this again. Yet before you jump right back into thinking that the Pharisees are evil people, let me remind you that these are good intentioned people who truly believe that they are doing what is right in God's eyes, that they are doing God's work. And as the religious leaders of the day, a lot of people would assume that they are doing God's work. Yet, according to the story, it's their faith, right? Or the very beliefs that these men have given themselves to in order to honor and worship God with everything that they are that actually keeps them from seeing and embracing God doing something amazing, God doing something miraculous right in front of their eyes. Or, or note, it's not their lack of faith that leads them astray. No, it's actually their faith, what they believe that has gotten in the way. So do you guys see that? I know it's a little bit subtle, but do you see how it's their faith. It's what they believe. It's, it's their commitment to God that actually keeps them from seeing God at work right in front of them. Which is pretty amazing when you think about it. Well, now that you're starting to see that, what I believe these Pharisees have to teach us about our own faith is that sometimes it's, it's not just a lack of faith or a lack of commitment that keeps us from seeing God at work. No, sometimes the very thing that gets in our way is our own faith. Which ultimately means that in our quest to live faithful lives, if we're not careful, 
we too could end up missing and even fighting against God in the name of God, convinced we are right beyond a shadow of a doubt. Right? That's something that could happen to us. Or to, to see how pro- big this problem can be, let me ask you all a question. How many of you believe slavery is right? No? Nobody's going to raise your hands on that Well, did you know not too many years ago in this great country of ours, if you asked that question, the answer would have been 50-50. 54 slavery, 50 against slavery. Yet, the interesting thing about this debate, when you go back and read, is you'll see among those who argued for slavery being a good thing, you would find good-intentioned, deeply committed Christians being guided by their faith and their interpretation of the Bible, arguing and even fighting for what they believe to be God's will for the world. And what they believed about God's will is that slavery was something that God actually created. And so it's a good thing. Or, to take this even further, did you know that the creation of the Southern Baptist Church, which is the largest Protestant denomination in America today, happened when the Southern churches split from the Northern Baptist churches because the Southern Baptists believed that slavery was God-ordained? Yeah, that's a lot of people whose faith, whose commitment to God is getting in the way. Then to keep pushing, how many of you believe in equal rights for women or that women should be allowed the access to to voting and all the opportunities that men have? Anybody? Anybody here for girl power? Yeah. Well, do you realize it was just a little more than 100 years ago that women had to fight for this right against, again, good intention, faithful Christians who because of their faith believed that it was wrong. And again, that's a whole lot of people whose faith was getting in the way. Now, I know most of the time when we hear you know, stories like this, we think to ourselves that if we would have lived at that time, of course, we would have been on the right side of that debate. I mean, that's what we automatically think. But I think what the actions of the Pharisees along with these examples bring to light is if that many deeply devoted, good-intentioned Christians could miss and even fight against God at work, doing miracles, setting slaves free, and giving equal rights to women, which seems so obvious to us today, then we too, as good-intentioned, faithful Christians, could also allow our faith and devotion to get in the way, or we too could become Pharisees. So do you see that? Or do you see this is not just a problem that we put on the Pharisees and then walk away because these are the evil people? No, These are things that we could be just as guilty of if we're not careful. Now, here's the fun thing about this. At this point, I bet what most of you are thinking in your brains as as you make all the connections is instead of thinking about how your faith could be leading you astray, what's going on in your brain is all those people that you know that are clearly being led astray by their faith. And how you wish they would hear this message so that they would finally come to their senses, change their beliefs, and end up thinking just like you. Anybody else's brain go to that place? (laughs) Not just me when I was writing this sermon, right? Now, you might just be right about those people who are getting it wrong. But what I want you to get in light of what we have learned today is that what you need to be doing instead of spending your time thinking about the ways others are missing the point, what you need to do 
during this season of Lent, this season of reflection, is to take some time and critically think about your own faith to make sure that you're not missing God doing something amazing, something new right in front of you. Because the truth is, unless you're Jesus, there's definitely something you've missed. There's definitely something that you need to be working on. Or to kind of give you a modern day example of this, um, in the church world these days, probably 85 to 95% of churches these days are shrinking or they're staying about the same. And one of the main reasons for that in our country today is churches are not willing to change to meet people where they are. And so what happens as a result of that is that people just stop coming to church. Right? So people who are good-intentioned, faithful people who've been worshiping God in a certain way for all these years, they continue to stand up and fight for that because that's what they believe. And what happens is their faith, in a sense, it gets in the way. It keeps them from seeing that God is doing something new to reach out to people in a new time and a new place. So do you see that? I mean, it's happening to churches all over the place who God is wanting to work with, but because of their ability not to change or to see something new, they're not able to adapt and adjust. So I think the thing you have to do in response to the possibility of you and I becoming Pharisees is... You have to begin this process by simply praying to God on, on a daily basis, I would say. Hey, God, please don't let me be a Pharisee. Open my eyes to see. Help me, help me to relook at everything that is going on in my life just to make sure that nothing is getting in the way because I do not want to be one of those people with good intentions. I don't want to be like the Pharisees who are fighting against what you believe or, or what you are doing in this world because of what I believe. Right? And if we'll do that during this season of Lent, I think by the time Easter Sunday rolls around, God will open us up to see just exactly what he's doing and how we need to respond and change. Let us pray. Father, again, as we, as we begin this series, it's my hope that not only do we learn about the Pharisees and who they are, uh, instead of just kind of throwing that out, throwing them out as the evil people, that uh, we'll see who they are in, in deep ways, that they truly were uh, people who were faithful, people who were doing everything in their power to, to serve you. And, and let's be honest, they are far beyond us in many ways. And yet because of that faith, because of their devotion, they were not able to see what you were doing right in front of them. So during this season of Lent, oh Lord, help us to open our eyes to see. Help us not to be the Pharisees, the modern-day Pharisees, who are getting in the way. No, help us to be the kind of people who listen, and when they see amazing things going on right in front of them, they begin to say, man, that has to be from God. So Lord, help us begin this process today so that by Resurrection Sunday morning, we are set free and we are on board with all that you're doing. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon, and we hope you are able to join us next week. To learn more about FCC Great Bend, visit us online at firstchristianchurchgb.com. Again, that's firstchristianchurchgb.com. God bless and have a great week.